Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Well, Actually, the Athletic MMA's podcast about MMA and other stuff. We're just coming off a pretty packed weekend for MMA. We had UFC 242 in Abu Dhabi, where Habib Nurmagomedov did his thing, beat Dustin Poirier via complete and utter suffocation, unified the UFC's lightweight belt. Then, later that same Saturday, we had Bellator 226 in California. Ryan Bader met Chick Congo in the main event, which ended in a very anticlimactic no contest and in a bit of a situation there with, yes, you're hearing that what, right? Quinton Rampage Jackson. Let's just say a lot happened this weekend, and you can read all about it at The Athletic. But today, here, we're not talking about any of that. Well, we are started talking about something that happened at Bellator, but not a fight. We're talking about a fighter who got an official introduction that night. Their newest high-profile signee, Chris Cyborg. More specifically, we're going to go over her thorny road to get here, including the recent end of her brittle relationship with the UFC. In a career that one could describe as unique, accomplished, complicated, all of the above. Well, Cyborg is a person, and like the rest of us, she stumbles. But if there is one thing that the former strike force, Invicta FC, and UFC champion has always done, is stand up for herself. And if you consider the dynamics of the sport, for all its athletes, of course, but especially its female athletes, that is no small thing. Please join me in the ambitious endeavor of unpacking it all. I'll start with a personal anecdote. And speaking of personal, for those who don't know me, a brief summary. Hi, I'm Fernanda. I'm 29. I live in Rio de Janeiro. I like peanut butter, caffeinated drinks, existential angst, and sad documentaries. But more to the point of this podcast, I've covered MMA for the past decade. Still, in all this time, I would only meet Cyborg in person in 2016, after she made her move to the UFC. And I remember the thing that really stuck with me from the first interview I did with her, before her fight with Lena Landsberg in Brasilia, was, wow, she's really not that big. And I know, that's a weird thing to say or even think about a fighter. It's not usually something that even registers with me. But with Cyborg, it did, because I realized I had sort of like built her up in my head a bit. And that was, I guess, a combination of what she did in the cage, which I can only describe as bulldozing, but also this general narrative, right? That she was this overpowering titan person type thing. And I remember at the time, my dad, who's a fan, he asked me, oh, you met her in person? Is she like super intimidating? And I was like, no, she's actually smaller than me. Granted, that isn't that hard. I'm tall. And as Seinfeld's George Costanza would put it, I'm pretty stout as well. And there was also the fact that the UFC hadn't created her usual featherweight division at the time. So she was competing at a scary 140 pounds, a catch weight, and walking around trimmer than usual. But still, I just, I think that the fact that this is what stuck with me speaks a lot to the idea of projection and to how there is often a disconnect between reality and narratives. And when it comes to Cyborg's career, there have been a lot of narratives that don't really line up with reality, or at the very least, that wildly extrapolated. I'm just going to get this one out of the way, because it's the one thing that people, especially those who don't like Cyborg, keep coming back to when it comes to her career. PEDs. In fact, looked at any, if, if you look at any comment section of anything, and you can go ahead and do that as we speak, you see the same type of comment. 
But if you want to be spared the trouble, I just typed Chris Cyborg on Twitter's search engine just this morning. And among the top results was someone saying, and this is a quote, let that roid freak go to WWE. <sighs> now let's get to the facts of the situation. Cyborg did get a doping infraction in 2011 after a fight against Hiroko Yamanaka. Did I get that right? I might have gotten it wrong. This is my first go at this. Please be kind. So a fight against Hiroko Yamanaka. I think that's right. A strike force. Which at the time, Cyborg blamed on a dietary supplement. Well, believe her or not, she did her time, got suspended, went back and got tested after she got back. Later in 2016, there was another incident involving a banned substance, in this case a diuretic. But Cyborg was granted a retroactive exemption by USADA after demonstrating that she had a legitimate medical use for it. She's been tested many other times and nothing else has come of it. But it's still pretty much the prevalent narrative, right? And of course, some of it is just the nature of the MMA game. I mean, with doping, all it takes is one time for people to sort of like cast that doubt forever. And the eye test, it kind of goes for everyone, both men and women. Um, one example I can think of is Paulo Costa, who's never failed a test. And still, because he's so muscular, he gets a lot of finger pointing. But with Cyborg, considering all the other facts of her career, which has been pretty outstanding, it's quite evident that this is something that people are not only determined to cling to, but reduce her to. And with Cyborg, those comments are also very quick to turn toward her physical appearance, and sure enough, to veer into comparisons with men. Can you imagine? You're a professional fighter for almost 15 years, and you're getting this type of stuff all the time? Like, Royd Freak is one of the many horrible things that she has to read on the daily. And while you can argue that just the price of being in the public eye, I say, hey, if your instinct is to defend that type of behavior, that's one weird way of going about life. And B, are you telling me that you think no element of Cyborg's uphill battle with public opinion had to do with gender? Because if so, you're either lying or you need to pay more attention. Maybe you should spend a little longer looking at comment sections whenever there's a woman fighting. Or reporting. Or existing, really. Just a tip, you might want to wear protective goggles and, like, douse yourself in disinfectant afterward. The point is, there is a ton of sexism in MMA, much like there is in the world. And Cyborg has been on the receiving end of some of the most vitriolic forms of it. And it doesn't help that this harmful narrative has been enforced by some of the sport's leading characters, like, say, UFC President Dana White who notoriously said Cyborg looked like Vanderlei Silva in a dress and heels, complete with a routine of sort of just like stomping around the stage to mock her. UFC commentator Joe Rogan also made a, jo a joke. Joke. I'm air quoting here. By the way, I do that a lot because I speak with my hands most of the time and the podcast format is kind of limiting on that regard. But yeah, a joke about how she could make 135 pounds if, if she just cut off her penis. Rogan, to his credit, apologized later. But I mean, the comments were made, they were out there in the ether, and it's just such a harmful thing, not only for a person to hear about themselves, but also it's something that people can so easily weaponize when they're already looking for reasons to have problems with someone. And for all the support that Cyborg has gained over the years, and she has a massive fan base, there have also been plenty of people really ready to hate her, much like there has historically been Whenever there's a woman daring to stand up for herself and to step outside the confines of the narrow ideas of how a woman should look like, talk like, and act like. It's been a few years, but Cyborg still brings up those comments by White and Rogan, 
even after having signed with the UFC, even after having been given a belt by Dana White himself and having been interviewed in the octagon by Rogan. And a lot of people, they use that against her, like she's just pointlessly rehashing things of the past or clinging to these meaningless gripes. Rogan apologized, they say. What else do you want? One comment I read on Twitter, for instance, was, I don't want to be rude, but sometimes it feels like you're being a victim. I don't understand why. It doesn't bring you any popularity, and I can't imagine it brings you anything personally. Well, it was actually polite, so I'm not going to mock him, but I mean, should she forget these comments? Would you? And sometimes it's not about popularity or personal gain. Like, can we dream of a world where there's a fighter who's actually interested in creating a conversation that extends beyond them? When it comes to what happens to Cyborg in the UFC, there's only so much we can know, right? She and her team could have very well been very hard to deal with. The UFC has, to their credit, created her division, and they have accommodated her in some ways, much like she has accommodated them in others. But there's always been this sort of like tension, and I can't really sit here and just pin the rupture, the end of their relationship entirely on the UFC just because I don't really have all the facts of the situation. I have some of the public facts of the situation. Uh, Cyborg has, you know, been known to contradict herself on occasions. She's had some odd social media behavior. And like the rest of us, she's made mistakes. She even apologized for one just recently after her team manipulated sort of quite quotes in a video in a way that made him look sort of bad. Which is to say, I'm not trying to paint Chris Cyborg as a saint. In fact, I can even talk about Cyborg really as a person because I don't know her as a person. I know that she's been, you know, always extremely polite to me as a reporter. I know that she looks to be very thoughtful and caring when it comes to her fans and that she like builds wells for orphans in Uganda. Like, these are all things that you could say a nice person typically does. But is there a possibility that she skins kitties and bunnies alive to make handbags? I guess so. I mean, I doubt it, but yes, I guess there's always that possibility. My point is that it's irrelevant because I'm not talking about Chris Cyborg, the private person. I'm talking about Chris Cyborg, the public person, though you might not want to skin bunnies and kitties. That's fucked up. But when Cyborg, the public person, takes all these hurtful and mean comments and makes it a point to, yes, bring them up again to talk about how people shouldn't have to put up with that kind of thinking, especially in the work environment, I think that's a powerful message. And that's one that she's delivered consistently. Again, it hasn't always been done in an ideal way. I think most reasonable people can agree Cyborg shouldn't have punched Angela Magana during that fighter's retreat, despite all the nasty stuff that Magana had been saying online about her. But just imagine like getting all these horrible comments all the time for years. I can only speak for myself, but I'd probably just curl up in a ball and cry. And Cyborg has consistently owned them and used everything she's had to put up with as a tool to bring awareness to bullying and harassment. You can say she's done that to advance her own career or as negotiation leverage or to just spite the UFC after things went sour. And I can't really flat out disprove you because I cannot tell what's in her heart. But regardless of what happens privately, there's something being said and put out there to the world. And that matters too. Much like when Cyborg inked her deal with Bellator and said to other fighters, know your value. That's literally what says right now on her pinned tweet. Free agency is not going to work as well for everyone as it did for her. Of course, not everyone is Chris freaking Cyborg. But still, that's another message that she's giving her fellow fighters. 
that you are allowed to disagree with things, that you are allowed to ask for more, and that you are allowed to speak up and stand up for yourself. And when she talks about being happy with her relationship with Bellator, which she describes mostly as a partnership, and how she'll now be able to do things that she wanted, like competing in boxing and pro wrestling, I think that's also a solid message. It's a message that, yes, it is entirely okay to want what you want and to fight for it. More and more fighters are beginning to realize their worth and to realize just how much they're really risking in there, often for not that much gain at all. And I do believe that Cyborg has played at least a part in helping shift those dynamics. And if some people see her demands as sort of like diva-like behavior, I say, if any, if anyone has earned the right to be a diva in this sport, it's someone who's been doing it and doing it damn well forever. Someone who's put in the time, who got the results, and who brought in the eyeballs, belt or no belt. If men like Conor McGregor and Nick Diaz can detect the terms of their careers, and they very much should, you know, if, if they can name their numbers, why can't Cyborg? Now's the time to introduce my food disclosure. I know food disclosures are annoying, but to my defense, I saved mine for last. As a woman in MMA, and that's a wild concept, I have my own projections. People's attitude toward athletes as fans is, of course, different than the one we have as media, but I think sports are always at least a little bit emotional. I think it's natural as humans for us to sort of see ourselves in those characters that we're watching and in our case, portraying in our work. And when it comes to finding those people that speak to you in a different level, it's so much easier for men just because there are so many more of them, especially in positions of prominence. It's getting better, thankfully, as women's divisions grow, but still the proportions are way off. While there were some pretty badass women in MMA early on, they weren't seen that much, not on the mainstream, and not in cards readily available for watching, at least not in Brazil. And Cyborg was one of the first women to change that for us. So yes, I can't deny there's a little bit of my own projection there when I look at her career. As a woman who's dealt with self-image issues and who's heard her share of nasty comments in her lifetime, in my lifetime, I feel vindicated by her anti-bullying message. As a woman who advocates for equality and equity, I do feel represented by her refusal to settle for less than she believes she's worth. And as a feminist, and I honestly have no idea if Cyborg recognizes herself as that because that's never really a flag that she raised. But as a feminist myself, I can say I feel inspired by seeing a woman just doing the damn thing like that. So yes, maybe there's a little bit of me here, but I think there's something about what Cyborg stands for that everyone can admire. Her legacy, and like it or not, she already has a legacy, is complicated. But people are complicated. As most things in life, it's about how you choose to look at things. And when I do the math on the good and the bad, what I take away in terms of what Cyborg is leaving behind is mostly good. Is that not how you see it? Well, the good news is that I'm all ears. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter and let me know if you feel any differently. Feel free to let me know if you agree with me too. That, that would actually be kind of nice. And if you just want to go over there and be an asshole, well, that's not ideal, but we'll take it. You might just make it to my next episode. Who knows? Or I might just find your mom on Facebook and tell her all about your nasty behavior. Either way, I get something out of it. Point is, I'm open to, to opinions, suggestions, and ideas on how to make this podcast my very first podcast better. And that is it for this week. Thank you for listening. And if you want to know more about Cyborg and her ballot ordeal, my colleague Josh Gross put out a great article at The Athletic just today. And if you like what you heard... I'd highly advise you to subscribe to The Athletic now 
and get access to bonus stuff and all the other awesome podcasts we have going on there. In fact, because you've been kind enough to listen to me all of this time, you get a treat. Go to theathletic.com slash wellactually and you get 40% off the annual subscription. I'll see you next week for more MMA and other stuff.